Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Must Be the Place, the Building Science Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Henderson. Each episode is a deep conversation with a carefully chosen peer about not just houses, but place. Yeah, of course we talk about houses and retrofits, but we also want to change the industry for the better, forever. Energy poverty, community engagement, industry disruption, societal responsibility, and climate change. It's all here and so much more. back with This Must Be The Place, your building science podcast, and I'm your host, Shauna Henderson. My guest today is Lori Rand. In 2013, a homeowner asked Lori to design a passive house, and so she returned to her self-described nerdy roots, yay nerds, and became a certified passive house designer. She's a sustainability director at Habit Studio, a company here in Halifax that she co-founded. It specializes in sustainable renovations. Her company is currently eight women strong. Welcome to the podcast, Lori. I know there's all sorts of other things too, but first of all, let's talk about habit. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for having me here. Um, I've been, you know, excited since you've been me. Yeah. So, Habit Studio is, um, you know, we're very proud of our all women company. And, um, we actually we design new build passive houses and sustainable renovations. So we we have um, about fifty fifty um, in terms of new builds and renovations. But we won't take on a new build unless it is a passive house, um, which was a decision that we made in around two thousand eighteen, and that was scary at the time. We thought that we would be maybe shooting ourselves in the foot. But it turned out to um, work out just fine. <laughs> and yeah, excellent. Yeah, I did this. Uh, I made some very conscious decisions in my design business, uh, thinking that I would be less swamped. But when the word gets out that you do a very specific thing and there's a lot of demand for that very specific thing and not very many people to fulfill, you're in. Yeah, I'm all right. And I mean, it just kind of, I think a little bit was the timing. Um, and so when we, we did our first couple of passive houses and we had, um, uh, we had this great opportunity where we did a project with a very experienced builder. Uh, it was, I think, his seventh or eighth passive house. Um, this is Trout River Homes in PEI. <laughs> and they had, um, they just coincidentally at the time had been approached by the city of Charlottetown to do an economic case study of one of their projects. So we did the project I was doing with them. And so this um, total cost of building ownership analysis happened on the project. And uh, much as we feared, it was much more expensive than the code compliant house. It was about 18% more to build that house. But the cost of ownership, as we all know, with passive house was um, also dramatically lower. Uh, there, so we did that. I to, yeah. I just want to jump in and say that total cost of building ownership means that you're actually taking in all of the factors over a long period of time. So everything from mortgage costs to insurance rates to 
um, your energy bills, um, cost of replacing equipment, materials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everything over a carbon tax and carbon taxes and, and, and. So you actually drive all of the, you know, what, what might be externalities in a straight up simple payback or even a return on investment piece. Everything is piled in and compared apples to apples from your conventional house to the passive house or whatever um, yeah. existing house to upgraded house. Yeah, and then, and when you're thinking about something like a building which has a very long life, if we do it correctly, it is a more appropriate way of um, understanding the economics associated with the investment than in anything like a simple payback. You know, the buildings that we build are going to stand hopefully for 50 plus years. And so we're really thinking about it in terms of 15 or 20 year uh, time frames is a little bit, it's, it's not even a little bit, it's incredibly short-sighted. It's the most expensive thing most of us ever spend on in our lives. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's also a very enduring part of the infrastructure of any city, town, municipality, county, whatever Mm -hmm. jurisdictional piece there is. So, yeah, you know, often we get people talking about, you know, well, if there's no payback in five years, like somehow property and a house has fallen into a five-year What's the word I'm looking for? It's just based on it, not commodity. But, but it's in that five-year oh, asset. Yeah. yeah. And it's so cool. It's like when you think about how long a building is going to stand and, um, and, and you know, really that kind of short-term thinking is why we have, it's one of the factors in why we have a sustainable, you know, a crisis in terms of buildings right now. Like we, the building infrastructure in our country is in very bad shape. Yeah. Um, and, and so we, we really, the responsible thing to do is to be making our decisions based on longevity and what is economically best in the long term, not in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. So we were really, that, that project, I mean, it was just a coincidence that we, lucked into um, having this connection with the company that did the study, uh, it's CIFAR Analytics. Mm -hmm. And um, I've actually worked with them regularly ever since because it just feels so comforting to be able to have our project informed by this long, you know, this understanding of what's going to happen in the long time span. Um, but the other thing that happened on that was like, you know, we kind of became motivated. Like we were kind of like, oh my God, it's almost 20% more to build a passive house. And, um, you know, well, we know that immediately people have, you know, their upfront costs are actually lower, like your mortgage plus utilities picture mm-hmm. typically straight out of, the, out of the gate is still less. It's really challenging to go to clients and say, you know, we recommend passive house, even though it's going to cost you more in terms of capital costs, just because of the way that people think about their, their bills. Like nobody thinks about uh, the fact that 85% of the cost of owning a building happens after the building is built. You know, we only think about the capital costs, like how much, how can I drive these capital costs down? Um, But by, you know, by, by making the build less expensive, it's, you're short-changing the long-term picture. Um, 
and I'm definitely, you know, my, my roots are in building science, not in economics. And so I think that's also why, you know, I felt really strengthened by having our work informed by CIFAR and their TCBO, the total cost of building ownership. Um, but then on our second, the, the next project after that, we did it for the exact same price as every project we built that year that was new building. Right. So once we were like, okay, we, and, and you know, the context was a bit different. The first, you know, the one on Prince Edward Island, PEI is a pretty expensive place to build relatively. Um, so there were, you know, it had a little bit of a penalty going in, but, but we were able to do it on par with code built home, uh, the next build. And so that was what, you know, really, um, influenced us to say, wait a minute, time out. Like we can't really stomach the thought of building new houses that are code minimum. If, if we've just done one for a, a passive house for that price, like it's just like nonsense. So I'm not saying that every project that we do is the same as a code minimum house, but, um, but you know, I can say that we've been doing all new builds as passive house ever since. And at the time that we made that decision, we were doing about 25% new build and 75% renovation. And now we do 50-50. Like we've actually, it has driven up our new build uh, segment of our work by, by niching on passive house new builds. Right. And so you do uh, design and build in-house? We don't know. So we work closely with contractors. We don't build. Okay. Um, yeah, we're, we're, uh, I wish we were building houses, but yeah, if we could say we were an all women uh, building company, that would be pretty satisfying. But we haven't done that yet. <laughs> well, let's see how we can push some more people your way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have, I've had the thought before that I would love to do a project with an all woman construction team. Even just one build, it would be pretty great, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would be. What an amazing turnaround that would be for pretty much everybody who's worked in the field over the last few decades. Now, yeah, it's true. I mean, and it's funny, it's sort of, I kind of sometimes forget how old I am maybe, but I'm like, if I think back to uh, some of our earlier projects, uh, you know, definitely a lot more confident now in, um, and, and telling contractors what to do and, mm-hmm. you know, flagging things that concern me. And yeah, but you know, like I still, every so often I still get like a deer from somebody who's like maybe 10 years younger than me. And I'll be like, I'm not your deer. <laughs> but <laughs> mostly I get a lot of respect now, but it definitely my I remember when yeah. I first moved out here from Vancouver, uh, people would call me girl. Yes. And that for me was hysterical because that was like the dense fighting words. Um, <laughs> and yet it was just, it's just endemic to language in Atlantic Canada. And that's so true. Yep. Eat into that. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that there is another very cool thing that you are involved in because I've kind of been on the, the, the outside of that. Um, and that's the Recover Initiative. So, Go to town on that one. Yeah. So, so as I told you, you know, we've, um, uh, so, uh, really Habit Studio was like this sort of slow evolution. Um, you know, it started out as myself and my business partner being sole practitioners who helped each other out. Uh, and then eventually at some point we we're like, oh my God, we're a company and we 
you know, kind of did the work to become a company. Um, but it was very organic. And then we had that scenario that I told you where we kind of transitioned from doing a lot of renovation to doing um, kind of 50-50. Uh, but and I'm the passive health expert in our company. I, you know, I, I did the training. My background is in physics. Like I did, I went to school for two years to do a BSc in physics before going to architecture school. And, and so that's like my, my kind of domain. But what was funny as we decided that we were going to only do new build passive houses, I was doing a lot more new builds and, and my partner Judy was kind of responsible for, you know, a, a, a fair bit more renovations and and at a certain point I was like I really miss renovations like I actually like there's just something about renovations they're way harder to do than a new build there's a lot of prioritizing for satisfying you can yeah. see it and press your hands off and say an excellent job yeah. on that like you're you're making you know with a new build you're making something with a retrofit you're making something that's bad amazing <laughs> so, like, it's just like the level of satisfaction it's pretty high when you do a great job on a rest of a bit um and so you know it's just kind of noticing that like this like the evolution in the business really made me miss being responsible for more retrofits and kind of around the same time my friend nick rudnitsky who's a builder um came to me and he said I'm just like dealing with incredible angst over the carbon footprint of my projects. And, um, you know, like I, I feel like he, he just had the revelation that a lot of times what we're doing in the building industry, even when we're doing it in, in the name of energy efficiency, is actually doing more harm than good in the immediate um, picture. And he said, what do I do? He was like coming to me for advice. And I was like, um, energy strong i was like go find out about energy strong like we need to figure out a way uh to, of scaling retrofit in a hurry the existing buildings are still going to be a huge problem uh no matter how many net zero new builds we do and um i was i kind of told him like that's what i would do if somebody dropped a million dollars in my lap i would like figure out retrofits at scale because it's it's just critical that we do it or we're not going to meet our climate targets. And he laughed, he a little bit laughed at me and he doesn't remember this part quite so well as I do now, but he was kind of like, that's just he's crazy when I explained to him about energy from. So, you know, and I, I know you've had uh, the people who've probably talked about it on the show in the past, but energy from is essentially, you know, mass production plus retrofit. Yeah. And so then he went away for the, if it was, maybe two weeks before Christmas, we had coffee and I told him to research energy strong. And then, you know, kind of went away, it was Christmas. And then came back um, in the second week of January. And he said, I've got us a meeting with the Department of Energy and like, <laughs> we're going to go talk to them about energy strong. And, and I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> you, I thought you knew yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And that was about the same time that I was working with Energy Ecology Action Center to do yeah. a study on energy and she's strong. And the funny thing is that two years prior to that, I was working with Bridgewater uh, on the uh, net zero renovation project, pilot project that we did down there. And Nick was doing renovations on the Queen Foundation office. Oh, yeah. What are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm working on this net zero energy um, retrofit program. 
and he crossed his arms in front of his chest and said, that's just not going to fly. Well, time to say, oh, you'll come around. You'll come around. around. And and so it's so fun. That's hilarious. I'm glad that you told me that. Adorable. Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, there's probably, I can't think of anybody who's more passionate or charismatic or, you know, ready to stand up and speak to whoever will listen about the importance of doing these retrofits the next. So, so, you know, like basically, and it's funny because I've been kind of like, you know, in my small way and my free time, like telling people about it. Like from the minute I heard about energy front, I was like, oh, somebody needs to do that here. Like literally, I was like, we need to, we need to be doing that everywhere. Like it's, you know, um, it's an innovative idea, but it's like literally the only, uh, solution that has been developed that has shown any success in the world to scale retrofit. So like, uh, yeah. you know, even if it like, uh, you know, we're just like, it obviously isn't going to adapt in a like for like way a hundred percent, but we've got to figure out how we can deploy into here. Um, and so that, that was the start of recovery, you know, Nick, I mean, this was in 2020, um, the Department of Energy and Mines about 10 minutes before the pandemic hit decided at the end of their budget year to give us a little, a small amount of money. Uh, really, I think they were paying Nick to go away. Like he was relentless in asking them for money. And finally they said, okay, no, it's not a bad point when you're asking for money. Yes. Fear yeah. I'm always too polite. Like I was just like, okay, I can't believe that works. But basically he asked them for money until they gave us money. And then we uh, did a study in the first, literally kind of the first two two months of the pandemic. So from March until uh, June-ish of 2020. And then in July, we had a webinar. And we were supported on the project by Quest Canada uh, because we are also working with Emma Norton on Recover. And I know she said on your podcast. Um, So Emma was working with Quest Canada. And they kind of agreed to kind of sponsor or support us. And they they have a huge network of, you know, across the country of municipal, you know, context. And they publicized our webinar and like over 100 people, most, a lot of them employees of municipalities um, attended our webinar. And we were sort of like instant retrofit experts by like sort of just sitting down and telling people yeah. about the project that we studied, you know, and, and really it was, a, you know, the um, a little bit frustrating. We still haven't actually done the retrofit, but we, you know, we sort of came up with a design and we did the total cost of building ownership analysis and uh, energy modeling and, and everything for this um, small apartment building. And then after that, we had like conversation after conversation with people across the country who kind of wanted to know what we knew. And, um, and, and, and we a little bit, we started doing little projects and then we just finished the project where we um we were hired by Toronto Community Housing to uh, to do a study on one of their uh, townhouses so they've got a huge goal of 25% emission reductions across their portfolio by 2028 they're about 8% away there yeah. uh, um you know most of their successes so far have been in larger apartment buildings and they're like we have uh five 
thousand plus dwellings in you know townhouses. So they've got like something like just under eight hundred townhouse blocks. And they're like, we need a strategy for our townhouse blocks, and you guys are working at, at Recover, working on energy sprung, and we think that might be something we want to explore. So we uh, just gave that, you know, we kind of wrapped up phase one of what I hope is a multi-phase project uh, in June. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like looking at their their portfolio and uh, the, the current energy consumption and current living conditions um, where people are, you know, we did some data monitoring of the interior of, of some of, of, of one unit um, during our study. And in April and May, it was like about 30 degrees inside this, this Ken house, you know, they're brick solid masonry buildings with no ventilation at all, not even like a bathroom fan. So, uh, you know, from the 60s. So I'm just like every hot day yeah. this summer, I've been like, oh my gosh, we just have to get those people some ventilation. Um, so we're now sort of figuring out what um, a demonstration project to implement our design might look like with trying community housing. Pretty exciting. So our project with NRCAM is going to be announced in two weeks or three weeks. Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, so the recovery team is working with six Canadian municipalities, Rio Nova Scotia, uh, to in Ontario and Saskatoon, uh, to, uh, to do feasibility studies, to do energy strong style retrofits to municipally owned properties. So this came out of, um, you know, our very first webinar where people from all of municipalities and Quest network joined us in our webinar. And, uh, yeah, so we, we have, um, Three of them are kind of community center uh, buildings and Great. the others, uh, one's an office kind of admin building and the others are transportation facilities. And one of them is actually a LEED certified building, um, but it has just a kind of, you know, not great EUI. So, Great. Well, that that. And yeah, so we're really, I know, it's like kind of like, okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Great. So this thing's... Um, yeah, so, so the kind of design analysis work on that are in progress and exciting that we're going to be allowed to talk about it. So that's yeah. fantastic. Well done, you. Mm. That's great. Yeah. I'm very excited to hear that. By then, I will be finishing up. So this this uh, episode is October 13th. Okay. I think Mike just noted that. Yeah. yeah October 13th. So by then, I will yeah. be able to announce that um, the feasibility study that we're doing for the Western region here in Nova Scotia will be almost wrapped up and that will have a very cool dashboard that municipalities throughout Nova Scotia can use to actually see what their housing stock inventory is in terms of how many single-story oh. houses do you have, how many two-story houses, etc. And their age range and their size range, and there will be a top level estimate on a series of uh, deep energy retrofit packages, which include um, the the low carbon version of a panel panelized system that that you folks are putting forward, and a couple of other ones, so that municipalities could actually say, well, we have, you know, we've got um, fifty percent of our housing stock is 
bungalow built between 1950 and 1970. So we should focus on those. And voila, here's how many you could do for how much money, meaning that you could actually then have a rough estimate budget for meeting the needs of a, of a retrofit project. That's very, very cool. I'd be really curious to actually see. Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. It's something that is absolutely missing from that municipal level. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, yeah, let's do some houses. Well, how do you determine how, what are you going to go after? What is the easiest mm-hmm. opportunity for you to make the biggest bang for your retrofit dollar? Yeah. That's houses that are sort of in, you know, in an age range that is after 1920 and before 1985-ish. And then what's the structure that's the most prevalent? I mean, you know, heaven forbid that it's all, you know, solid masonry buildings with a lot of gingerbread on them because that's going to be a pain in the butt. (laughs) And somebody's going to find that though. I mean, I think it's, you know, there's not a lot of that in Nova Scotia. Not in Nova Scotia, but but once we have this path pilot done and we get it out in the world, then we'll be looking for some money to actually implement it. So it's a Canada wide yeah. branch board. That sounds really um, useful. Like, yeah. And so I think all these things are going to dovetail. So we should have a, like a, a, a combination webinar something or other another in the fall to like say, this is what's happening in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, with recover, um, we're still trying to figure out exactly what our, you know, our optimal business model. Like, like we accidentally invented a company. It's not like we, like, <laughs> so we've established ourselves now as a not, not for profit, but we, you know, we're kind of like the entire endeavor is motivated by, uh, trying to share as much information as quickly so that people mm-hmm. can benefit from whatever it is we learn and and it, it, it like climate change is not going to get solved if we're all secretive about our IP. like we have Absolutely. to share our solutions widely including our failures um and so we are completely open source which is really hard because it takes a lot of time to put things in a format that other people can digest. So try to wrap our heads around that, but we will be making like a kind of open source database of everything we do. Um, and whether that is kind of a standalone recovered thing or whether it's in partnership with others who are doing it, like we have other friends who are um, doing projects that also have knowledge dissemination commitments. And so, you know, like kind of case study libraries and details libraries and things like that. So we're, yeah. we're kind of trying to figure out what that looks like, but this tool really complements that. All of yeah, that. Well, definitely add me into the, the database because we do have that information sharing yeah. in our, our money too, because that comes from uh, uh, local carbon communities and from FCM. Yeah. clean energy financing so so that's part and parcel of what we need to do as well so absolutely yeah. that's super cool what do you want to talk what what else is going on for you mm. like what do you what wow. do you, i mean that's, no. not, like, that's not enough no i know i'm like ridiculously busy anyway i'm like i'm like i, I was just talking with our operations lead karen earlier today and she's like are you tired <laughs> and I was like, I'm thinking of this year as a sprint. 
And I don't like to be calling a Britney by way, but a year of sprint. Well, it may be multi-year sprint, but it's still like, I'm like, I'm just like, that's how I have to frame it because there's a lot going on right now. One of the most exciting things that's going on is, you know, as I, as you know, with Habit Studio, we specialize in new build passive house and sustainable retrofit. We've always wanted to do a passive house retrofit, but every time it kind of seemed like maybe a project was going to go that way, like it's still expensive as can be like it's very expensive and also um not always viable uh, mm-hmm. to do a passive house retrofit so uh we um we've also always wanted to own our own building and so we bought a building last year in november and we're in the midst of doing passive house retrofit so by the time awesome. this episode airs i believe we will be moving in um, so we are, we, and it's, you know, we didn't pick the easiest house in the world. Um, it is an 1850s house in the north end of Halifax. It's, you know, timber frame, like every joint in the place is like more just and tenon. It's, uh, it, you know, it's nailed. It's so like, uh, as we, like, we keep looking at the structure and being like, kind of like riddled with like angst about covering back it back up because it's just so lovely to see the craftsmanship and you know there's obviously trees that are like 300 years old made this building right so yeah so so you know it's a very old building it's kind of i mean this building was 70 years old when the halifax explosion happened so the floor is kind of like a boat in places we had to do quite a bit of leveling work to kind of you know we i was kind of like whatever but my Judy, my business partner, she's like, we have to be able to have parties in here. <laughs> so we leveled the floor. <laughs> it's not perfect, but it's way better. Good. Um, well, that's good for dancing. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and then when you're doing a passive house retrofit, you know, the kind of logical thing to do is to just wrap the house in a blanket and, you know, do an external retrofit, which is what Recover is 100% founded on. Uh, but this building has a party wall, and then if the front wall is on the sidewalk, the side wall is at 100% lot coverage. So we've only got one wall that we could even do an external retrofit. Uh, so if it's an internal where, you know, we're kind of thickening, furrying out walls, we're basically making a double stud wall to the interior. Um, and it'll be, you know, insulated with dense packed cellulose and... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and I'm kind of like, you know, it's like, this is going to be a passive house retrofit in principle. I didn't, I didn't know when I started, like, I was like, okay, this is the building for us. There were a lot of things about it that we loved. There's a majestic tree in the backyard that's like, you know, older than time itself. And we just loved the property. Um, and I was like, well, it's, you know, it's a fairly simple house, but it's, appalling energy use like we had one electric bill it's all electric already that was going for it um but we didn't know that the electricity was even on because it was empty and the water was off and there was one radiator that was on 15 degrees for six weeks and our bill was twenty two hundred dollars this is a little house like this is uh you know like uh not even two thousand square foot house um, it's not a big building and it's fairly simple. So it has 24 hours. How many? 24. 24. Oh, you beat me by three. Not on my yeah. house, but on, on when I, yeah, but my biggest one was yeah. 20, 21 air changes an hour. I was like, yeah. why are there walls? Yeah, I mean, why are we doing nothing? <laughs> it has original windows. Some of the windows are original, not all of them. Um, there's a, a, and then the ones that aren't original are just 
still single glazed um, wood sashes that were built as replicas of the original. So, um, you know, the wind is blowing through in many ways. There's not, there's not even seaweed. Uh, there's no insulation except for a one part of the house was like clearly a bit of a, an addition at some point where there was a bit of insulation just in the roof. Um, but really, it, right. wasn't really, it wasn't doing very much because it was, um, you know, on the back kitchen L. There was, <laughs> so, I mean, it was the kitchen, but the kitchen might have saved a little energy. Anyway, it's, it's really fun. It's stripped down now and framing is happening and we're waiting for some, I don't know, some LBLs or something where it's just like, you know, how many weeks does it take to get a few LBLs, but supply chain stuff is going on, but you know, all of our windows are sitting in the building waiting to be installed. So we're done. Yeah. It's, it's right. And did you, and I, I, I see in my show notes that you're filming the process. We are. So we, you know, I don't think we're going to do anything this exciting again. And so we, uh, one of our suppliers actually suggested, you know, I was like, oh, I'll probably write a LinkedIn article <laughs> or something to link, you know, to, to share what we are doing on this project. But one of our building product suppliers was like, you guys should do like a few videos, like just to document it. And, um, just kind of coincidentally, you know, Passive House Canada, I'm an instructor with Passive House Canada again in my free time. Um, and one of the things that they've kind of just started to offer is, is the Interfit course or the Passive House Retrofit course. Okay. And, um, I actually didn't sit in on the whole course, but I sat in on like one or two classes just to kind of, you know, and I really, I noticed there's like no Canadian content, which makes sense because there's not really any. Canadian passive house retrofits are very few. No, um, so I was like, yes. And I was like, oh, so if I like documented, I could also help them out with getting a few images of, of a passive house in Canada being retrofitted. Um, and yeah, so basically it kind of turned from, you know, let's, let's do a few little, uh, short videos to like, I think we're doing a seven, seven episode YouTube series. Um, with awesome. So this is this will be on YouTube. Fairly pro- like with a super professional crew. Like I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah. like I, it's not my iPhone. It's like people who know how to do this stuff. So <laughs> it'll be on YouTube, and it was super fun. It's so funny. We're like, we need to actually like. I don't have a YouTube channel, so we're gonna do that. We're gonna launch it and yeah, and share it with whoever's interested. And you know, really explain. I think it's yeah. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. Even, yeah, revisit the show notes. It is not up and um, and you don't you're not YouTubing by time it's super close. It should be close to then, I think. Um, like the goal is to, like he's thinking he'll have all the footage in September and be like he's already kind of got a couple of episodes in the can. Um, so they'll be kind of starting to like maybe once a week for a few weeks or something. That's right. It's, it's, it's exciting. I mean, there's always the, like, we're putting ourselves out here. Like, we're totally going to get the, like, do you know what you're doing? Uh, comments, but whatever. I think, like, I mean, I don't know about you. Like, whenever I see a lot of, there's a lot of passive house content that is, like, this is the hardest thing anybody ever did ever kind of, like, messaging. <laughs> I really want people to know that that it doesn't have to be like that. Like, that, um... Like, I mean, if we just make everything seem like it's the hardest thing that was ever done ever, then nobody's going to do these important projects and, and, uh, nobody's going to be ambitious, but, um, 
you know, and I'm like, we might fail. We might not hit our target, but like the model shows that it can be hit. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, a, you know, there's also the function of, you know, on paper you can, or on the screen, you know, the model shows all sorts of things, but in real life, what you bump up against, like your party wall and your, your lot line and, you know, those are things that are, those are limiting factors. So, but if you can get it, I mean, 90% to that really? then you've done something that has changed the fabric of that particular part of Halifax. I mean, seriously, it's got to put a pretty big dent in the electrical capacity of that block if we like. One uninsulated house at a time. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty neat too. Like, just, I don't know. There's, uh, this this particular building clearly it, it hadn't had a lot of renovations, so like you know it got a kitchen put in at some point, and the bathroom looks like it could have been the 1950s. Like it hasn't been updated many times for sure. Uh, so we found lots of interesting things in the walls, which doesn't ha- you know you used to hear about it a lot, but like now that like most of Halifax has been retrofitted, you don't find the cool things in the walls. But we found like. Um, sad love letter where a soldier is breaking up with his girlfriend and like you know and and um a letter that was written we thought it was in russian but it was in yiddish and we um got it translated by uh like we kind of reached out and like the, i think the russian society of nova scotia found somebody to translate it and it was you know this this woman who's like not quite sure where her husband is and she's like has immigrated and is so lonely and it's just like oh my god it's so tragic anyway but it's like super fascinating. Like we see the history of the building, and you know, yeah. not like and showing that. Like I mean, little yeah. sad stories, but like well, I never found yeah, yeah, I never found any letters in walls, which is very disappointing. Now that I know that they've existed in walls, um, but I have read several uh, newspapers from the early. <laughs> there was a little bit of that too. There was like some newspaper clippings that were a little bit racist. <laughs> a little, you think? <laughs> a little bit racist. Yes, we were like, you know what I have? It's going that. You know what I have from walls that I've opened up and projects that I've been on. I have a collection of old marbles. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's always, and I always find them in every garden that I've ever gardened. Yes, yes. There's always marble. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah. I mean, I've had a, we found playing cards in my house that I live in. Playing cards in the wall. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with building science, but fun things about retrofits. <laughs> But let's turn back to building science because I have two questions that I I ask of all of my building science um, guests. Not everybody can answer them because they don't do building science, but they know something about the industry. So the first question is, what's your all-time favorite nerdy, delightful thing about building science? What do you love about building science? What I really love is designing buildings informed by the model. Like, you know, you can make decisions clearly founded in, in, you know, like, I don't know, there's so much wishy-washy decision-making in in designing houses. You know, I'm mostly designing single-family homes where it's emotional and people have, like, a lot of, of 
maybe like subliminal scenes informing their decisions. And I can just point to the model and be like, this is the answer because. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't help you choose your countertop necessarily, but you know, like the, those kinds of like, you know, is this going to save me money? Yes, this will save you money. Um, love that. And is this going to keep you comfortable? Will it handle the will it stop the the cold draft? Yes, yes, um, and yes. All of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so it makes decision making from a design point of view so much easier that way. It's like uh, I. <laughs> what are my uh, the most challenging thing for me that way is is um is when people are like, well, if we have this really big closet in the mudroom, then we'll be tidy. It's like, are oh, you yeah. tidy now? <laughs> well, well, yeah. It doesn't matter what size closet you have, other than the fact that you can just, just shove everything in there. It doesn't, it's not going to make you organized. I know. It's not going to make you a different person. <laughs> I know. It's like we need to design, you know, design should be a tool to support who you are. Not like kind of gloss over what you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and be, you know, be yeah. really absolutely realistic about how you live, what kind of a household you have, and who you're trying to impress. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, there's like so much. I have a lot of tension around you know design and like especially real like in the age of the internet where uh, there's all these people sharing perfect images of this and that and like like nobody lives that way <laughs> nobody lives that way and it's like let's be like let's be human um and that's at the same time i mean like if you look at my website there's beautiful pictures that we clearly like have the house cleaned um but yeah like real life it's not like that and yeah, I don't know. It's something we kind of talk about whenever we like do photos of our projects. Like, how do we make it seem more like someone lives here? Um, and... <laughs> anyway, yeah. As opposed to a hotel shape. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here comes the next one, and it follows okay. well on on the heels of what we were just said. Uh, what building science BS drives you crazy? We just talked about design stuff, but yeah, no, I mean, building science BS. I mean, I guess the BS that drives me crazy is the stuff that we're kind of like, I mean, it's just science. Like, when it's just like so, so hard that you're, you know, like that stuff makes me annoyed. Um, and then, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the other thing is that like greenwashing definitely makes me crazy. Like, you know, like the people who are like, well, this ICF wall is our 40 when it's very clearly our 22 and it's like oh no but the thermal mass and i'm like well, the thermal mass doesn't work that way because the insulation keeps in the heat from the anyway like that that drives me right. like, like it's no it's equivalent our value like our value is our value is tested it's a one-way thing it's single dimensional it's yeah. not making it something yeah. it's not and, and like yeah yeah i know and uh, there was like, like i don't know and they try like it's really hard like you know instructing i did a builder training instruction for passive health canada and like the room was full of right phone contractors and they were all like not believing me that like even that you know like the yes the worst of the uh propellant uh, you know propellants have gotten better but they're still bad they're just less bad and they're like no this has a global warming potential of zero now they've been like and i'm like no and they like you know like 
you can't, it's really hard to kind of be in that. Like, I'm like, I'm trying to encourage you to like, you know, you're here in this class and I'm helping you on your building science journey. Mm-hmm. And like, say, you know, the marketing or the materials that people are given are not always true. Right. But then when you've invested, you know, when you've invested in a big, in a rig and you've changed your crews out and this is your business yeah. model, okay. you know, you, you, you can't, it's really hard to push past yeah. that. And, yeah. No, no. Um, and I'm like, look, I'm not telling you not to do your job. I'm just saying like, this isn't quite accurate. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and like, because this guy is going out to homeowners and telling them that there is no, nothing harmful in the materials that he sells anymore because he's been told that. And I was like, yeah, not totally accurate. Um, anyway, like that does drive me crazy. Cause like all of it, there's nobody who doesn't want to do better. Like everybody wants to make the right choices about their home. Um, and, and, you know, but uh, yeah, but I think in that case, there, there's a lot of things like, like there are some really strong, and excellent characteristics that you should pull on and um, uh, and and market hard for products like spray foam, right? It's a really good solution for getting cramped areas. Um, it's a it's a you know like so. Don't talk about it being environmentally friendly, and do not talk about it having R nine equivalent R nine or R ten. Because that's bullshit. Well, that's the same as the the ICF thing. It's like because of air tightness, it's like the R value goes up, and it's like no air tightness doesn't equal R value. Like, yeah, and you still have uh, issues around rough openings. So no, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean that is usually what I say. I mean, like spray foam is not going anywhere. It's very very useful in certain applications, but we shouldn't be spray foaming every new building floor to ceiling um that's you know that's not the right application for it yeah. in my opinion um yeah i mean i i and that's definitely where i go it's like and and for a lot of my clients i've gone there in terms of cost effective is using this material where you can't use anything else because you need something to do air sealing or you need that really high r value in a very tightly compacted place mm-hmm. and that's really you know, it's it's much more expensive than fibrous insulation. And if you've got space for the fibrous insulation, then you know, use that. Yeah. And 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 you know, so definitely, yeah, no, um, it totally, yeah. I think you know, I think, yeah, that definitely gets my goat. I think just whenever something you know deceitful is out there, where people might get kind of persuaded to use a product or a solution, and it's not grounded in the science. Yeah, yeah, I would agree that. So that's a pretty common one, actually. For the the, the if I took a poll, I actually the answer. To I bet the question. That's a lot in there. Um, yeah, the other one that comes up a lot is uh, radiant barriers and bubble wrap. <laughs> um. Yeah, that was yeah. I know. I'm gonna be on over the yeah and the foil. Like, if you cover up the foil, not re- it can't really reflect. Yeah, just <laughs> it. What is it reflecting? Dust? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, was worth it by. <laughs> I wanted to, I'm just looking back through my mm-hmm. notes here because I think that 
No, I think we hit everything on here. Um, but I do, uh, except for that we didn't actually use the word disruption. But yes. Oh, disruption. Didn't use the word disruption. I should have thought about this. You know what? I'm such a good little girl. I hate disrupting anything. <laughs> I don't think that's like an explanation. I think you're, you're, you're a really good disruptor because you just, people don't realize that you are disrupting because you are very soft spoken and right. polite and thoughtful and all of those things. And then it's like, she did what? <laughs> yeah, no, I think in hindsight, like kind of, I'll be like, oh, I get that. Like, <laughs> like, I don't think of myself as particularly brave or, um, and, you know, tend to be quite conflict avoidant, but, you know, I, I don't. The stuff that we're working on is bigger than us also. Like, I definitely do game feel a responsibility. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I'm just trying to you've got municipalities on board saying, hey, we want to do this. And, um, you know, in Enercan, you've got this, you know, you're doing all these this, this amazing work to put it out there. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm working outside my comfort zone. But, like, what has, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about it. Like, I definitely am working outside my comfort zone. Um but I also, you know, as uh, Nick and Emma and I were starting Recover, I was really realizing, um, you know, I I did a lot of custom single family or small multi-unit renovations over my career. Like, like I counted up, I think I'd, uh, I'm personally responsible for like something like a thousand retrofits. Awesome. And well, you know what you're talking and, about. And I'm like, I need to scale my expertise. Like, I need to apply it. I can't keep doing it one retrofit at a time because the problem is too big. And so that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that whatever I know, other people can benefit from and that I can go put my feet up in a few years. <laughs> but not well, yet. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. We'll, 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 <laughs> a couple of years. Well, maybe not. Let's not wait a couple of years. No. Let's go put our feet up this summer somewhere. And then we'll, we'll, We'll make sure that we're meshed together in what we are doing and what we can yeah. share. The yeah, no, we definitely are overdue for a check-in. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think we met at my house. I fed you dinner and then COVID hit. You did. Uh, yeah. That kind of is what happened. Yeah. 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 So pretty much well, exactly. <laughs> well, let's hope that maybe we can like book and like maybe if we get together and have a meal together again, we'll kiss COVID goodbye. <laughs> I am all for any kind of magical and wishful thinking to get this the hell going. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today, Laurie. This has been great and I really appreciate it. So that's it for our episode today and thanks for tuning in. Thank you. It was really fun. Thank you for tuning in. This episode was produced by Blue House Energy, Podcast Atlantic, and Tanya Media. Subscribe and don't miss an episode. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.